when you come out to Boise or Idaho in general, it's probably, you know, I'd say top one, two, or three landlord-friendly states in the country. Hello, and welcome to today's episode of Invest in the West, where we talk about investing strategies and real estate-related topics in the Western part of the United States. Today, Matt Williams, my co-host, and I, Nicholas Cook, we're all in for a real treat. We'll be talking to Andy Props, one of the top minds in property management. Andy is the CEO of Home River Group, president and owner of Park Place Property Management. Andy holds three very respected designations in the industry. He is a CPM, which is a certified property manager. He holds a CCIM, which is a certified commercial investment member, and an MPM, which is a master property manager. And his resume goes on and on. Andy is going to discuss the Boise, Idaho market today. But before we jump into that, Andy, can you tell us a little bit about how you got into property management? Yeah. uh, First of all, thank you both for having me on. This is exciting. Always love talking about real estate investments. Been doing it for a long time. 1999 is when I started. Actually, uh, started managing properties uh, uh, in Tigard, Oregon at Crossroads Village back in 1999. I was serving a mission for my church and I, I, my parents, who are lovely people, but uh, didn't have money to send me to college. And I was wondering what the heck I was going to do to like put myself through college when I got back from my mission. And my sister, Amy, who's just an, an amazing person and everything she does, I try to copy because, you know, she's, she's somebody I've always looked up to. She's like, hey, I, I manage these properties and uh, I get to live there for free. And so I'm like, oh my gosh, that's that's awesome. That's how I'm going to, you know, save money and put myself through college. But um, when I got back from my mission, nobody would hire me because they basically said, hey, you don't have any experience and we only hire management couples. So you, you have to be married. And so I quickly fixed that problem by getting married and mm-hmm. um, got a job managing uh, 12 units uh, Crossroads Village, which is right off of uh, Highway 99 in Tigard. And, uh, you know, just kind of just started learning all I could learn about uh, real estate and managing it, uh, which obviously when it comes to real estate, managing it's the trickiest part. So if you can figure that out, uh, you could you could figure out some of the other parts to it and then continue to, to just learn and study um, and, and, and grow grow management businesses, grow investment por- portfolio. But, um, you know, obviously through, through the management opportunities, it's provided a number of investment opportunities that have popped up. And, um, you know, I've just tried to take, as, take advantage of, of most of those as I, I, as I could over the years. So that's the quick, that's the kind of quick version of uh, how I got into the business. And, and um, you know, I've really kind of uncovered a lot of the opportunities through uh, managing properties and the contacts that uh, you gain through managing properties. Great. Well, um, sounds like you got a good story and a lot of history kind of behind that. Now, obviously, you were, sounds like, in Oregon originally. So you have some roots in the great state of Oregon. And um, now you're in now you're in Idaho. And so right. you're operating in the Boise market. You've been there for some time. Um, how long have you been in Boise? Been in Boise since uh, 2008. Um, yeah, came out here in July of 2008 and uh, started a company here called Park Place Property Management. We 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 grew that to uh, right around 35, 4,000 doors in 2016, wow. and then I merged my company with a, a national company called Home River Group, which I'm like you mentioned, I'm the CEO of. So you know now we're 
Now we're managing in uh, close to 20 markets throughout the United States. Obviously, Boise is one of our bigger markets, but that's where I still call home. I mean, I love, I love Portland. I figured when I left Portland, I would never uh, love a place as much as Portland. Uh, and then I got here and, uh, you know, this is home now. I love it. I, I, I absolutely love Boise and, uh, you know, what's happening here, the growth and uh, just just the the outdoor activities. There's just unlimited things to do. And it's quite frankly, uh, it's a little bit more laid back than Portland. And and the the opportunities here seem to be a little uh, a little more fruitful to me than than what I was dealing with in Portland. So it's just my quick take. Yeah. And, you know, that's part of the reason we want to have you on the show and learn a little bit more about the Boise market. You know, the West Coast, um, we're seeing all sorts of housing policy changes, um, not only on a state level, but on a local level. Um, so investors, you know, they're certainly starting to get curious about other areas. So kind of you know, really one of the questions, you know, I think a lot of people have, especially because maybe Idaho or Boise is not maybe on the map as much as some of those big metro areas is, you know, how would you describe you know, the regulatory environment for investors in Idaho in general? I would, I would have to say, obviously, you know, I was a, a certified property manager or a licensed property manager and broker in the state of Oregon. So I, I'm pretty, pretty familiar with the laws there. Um, I, would, I would classify Oregon as a, a very landlord-friendly state, and especially, um, you know, Multnomah County. But when, when you come out to Boise or Idaho in general, it's probably, you know, I'd say top, uh, one, two, or three landlord-friendly states in the in the country. Uh, it's an unregulated state. Uh, evictions are are you know the quick evict process is pretty easy. You know we we rarely have to even get involved in evictions because the tenant base understands that if they're not paying, they've got to get out. So um, you know the the laws in Boise really are are in Boise and in Idaho in general are very landlord-friendly. Yeah. And so when you um, say unregulated state, can you talk a little bit about what that means just so people understand? Yeah. Unregulated from a property management standpoint. So um, if, if you have a, if you're a third party property manager, um, you know, you can, you can basically come in here and, 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 and manage it however you'd like. There's not a lot of regulations around specifically managing it, uh, you know, and handling of tenants. Um, so that's, that's basically what I'm talking about. Obviously, Real estate here in Idaho is regulated, um, but you know the the security security uh, security um, trust account laws are a lot different here than they are in Oregon. Um, so it it makes it makes owning and managing properties here quite quite a bit easier. Yeah, and that's definitely interesting. I can see you know a lot of benefits that go along with that, but also you know probably means a lot of investors need to proceed with a bit of caution when they're choosing a service provider Absolutely. out there. So, you know, working with a reputable company matters. You know, I've always been in the camp of, of having more regulation in Idaho just because, I mean, knock on wood, I mean, just even, even states where property management's regulated, bad things happen, right? So, um, you know, there's, there's not as much teeth here if something happens um, specifically, but it's, it's really good to do due diligence. Obviously, you want to make sure if you're, if you're coming out to Boise and you're hiring a third-party manager, you want to make sure they have their, uh, that they have uh, the correct licenses in place, the correct insurance, bonds, et cetera, um, that they're transparent with their fees, uh, that they have certifications. You mentioned some of my certifications and des- designations. You know, if, you're, if you're working with people that have those certifications and designations, they have a lot to lose if they don't do it right. So um, those things are really important when you're coming into a, a new market where you're not familiar with the people. 
Yeah, absolutely. And that makes makes a ton of sense. So for those of us who are not really familiar, you know, I've never been to Boise, to be honest. Um, oh, my gosh. <laughs> I know. I know. It's a sin. I need to I need to correct that pretty quickly. But if I'm not familiar with that market, you know, can you tell us a little bit of what the housing stock is like out there? Is it, is it more newer product? Is it older? Is it a mix? I mean, what can people expect? I, yeah, it's, it's, it's very new. I mean, it's incredibly new. There's, there's like two established neighborhoods in Boise where the, the product is, you know, um, older, say, you know, 50s, 60s, 70s. But basically, the, the rapid expansion of this location, um, there's just a ton of new product um, outside of the, the, just the downtown corridor of Boise. So you have Boise, you have Meridian Eagle in all in Ada County. There's also a little town called Cuna, which is in Ada County. And then you have the, second, the secondary county, which is Canyon County, with Napa, Caldwell, uh, Middleton. Those, those are maybe some smaller communities, but very heavily populated. Uh, but all of the product, mostly all of the product in those locations, it's, it's, it's new. And I'd say new, like 20, 30 years old. Um, I, I think out of all the units that we manage uh, here, I'd say 75% of them are less than 10 years old. So uh, that kind of gives you an idea out of the 5,000 doors or 4,000 or 4,000 and change are less than 10 years old. So um, lots, lots of new product, lots of exciting growth. There's a lot of things that bring people to Boise. So um, all all the all the existing product that's out here is 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 been basically renovated, and um, you know in general it's a very clean new uh, kind of sexy place to be. I, I you know I I as I go around the country and talk to people about Boise, everybody always is talking about well man that's where everybody you know everybody wants to be, and, and we see we see a massive in in migration especially from Oregon, uh, Utah. Um, California, Wyoming, those are those are the areas where people are really coming into the, the Idaho market. Wow, and, that, and that's pretty wild. I mean, that's certainly something to think about. Obviously, you guys aren't really dealing with lead-based paint very much out there. You're not dealing with massive capital improvements if your housing stock is that that young. I mean, obviously, you might have some you know mechanical stuff here and there, but I mean, if a lot of product is less than ten years old, I mean, they still got a lot of runway on them. Yeah, general general turnover maintenance is very very light. Um, again, you have a really, you have a really clean and, uh, responsible tenant base out here. You know, we, like I said, we manage properties in 16, 20 other markets and, uh, delinquency out here is way less just because again, the tenants know that they can't kind of, kind of ring out the, the, the eviction process. They're not paying, they, they get out. Right. Um, mm-hmm. so our delinquency here is very low, less than 1%, which is, you know, really, really effective when you're underwriting a property. Oh yeah, I can imagine. And, you know, you're talking about some of that growth. Can you maybe talk a little bit about what's fueling that growth? Like why are people moving to Boise? I, I, you know, it's not something that, you know, I've seen a lot of headlines about. So just, you know, is it employment? Is it lifestyle? I mean, maybe you can elaborate on that. Yeah. I mean, definitely there's, there's, there's lots of jobs, you know, I, I think out of, out of all the all the markets that are growing, um, we, we have jobs. Uh, we're getting, we're getting into the realm of having higher paid jobs. Um, you know, we do have, we do have some things here that really spur the economy. Uh, but it sounds to me when we're talking to people that move here, it's, it's definitely a lifestyle. I mean, so Boise, you're 45 minutes away from a great ski resort. You're 30 minutes away from, you know, world-class rafting, um, you know, the Boise foothills offer great hiking, mountain biking, 
you know, there's, there's other resorts that are one, two hours away. If you like to ski, snowshoe, snowmobile, uh, motorcycle, I mean, all that stuff is all right here. And then I think the other one, the other is cost of living. It's, it's pretty, pretty inexpensive still in Idaho to get a nice, a really nice place. So people that are selling million dollar homes in California are coming out here and buying, you know, their dream home for uh, one third, half the price, um, or, or, or even less. And, um, you know, it's very clean The you know, education, I think we're a little bit behind on education, but that's getting better, but it's a great, I think, you know, you you look at some of the articles that have come out, like, you know, best, best places to raise a family, um, you know, clean, cleanliness, safe, all those things are kind of what describes why people are moving out to Boise. Okay. Well, that's great. Hey, maybe we can talk a little bit about some of the numbers, if you know them. I mean, just ballpark area. You know, one of the things that obviously investors care about when they're going into a new area is, you know, what are the vacancy rates like? So if, if, if I'm in Boise and I'm looking to buy something, I mean, do you have a sense of kind of what that number looks like right now? I mean, we talked a little bit about NARPM at the beginning of this, and that's how obviously we, we know each other. But um, so we're, we're one, of the, one of the few NARPM chapters that I know of in the country uh, that, that does a NARPM vacancy rate. So we take all of the members of NARPM and we survey them on a quarterly basis and get their vacancy rate. And so we have a long history of, of the vacancy factor for small multifamily and single family. I'm stealing that uh, idea. Just letting yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's a great. It's, it's great. And in fact, I'll, I'll send you over the last one uh, if you shoot me a reminder. But, um, you know, we've been hovering around 3% or less um, wow. for, for as long as I can remember. And then on the multifamily side, we have a gentleman here that does a, a, an annual survey. Uh, he's an appraiser, and he appraises all multifamily. Uh, and that's been sub three for at least the last five years. Um, so, you know, as far as uh, vacancy and the ability to absorb, right, right now we're just, just as low, if not lower, than any other kind of secondary tertiary market in the country. Great. So you have a, you know, I mean, that's, that's music to a lot of investors ears in terms of vacancy rates. I mean, it's a, it's a landlord's market. It sounds like out there. Um, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, I mean, um, you know, doing the research and kind of going back, you know, throughout the history of, of, of single family, multifamily, you know, a solid vacancy rates around six, 7%. So when we're half that, it's, it, it definitely, it definitely lends itself to be a good, uh, absorbing market. Um, well, obviously what naturally kind of follows vacancy rates is, uh, rent growth. Um, can you maybe tell us, you know, how rents are doing? Are they staying flat? Are they growing? Are they softening? What, what are you kind of seeing right now? Uh, definitely still in growth, growth mode. I mean, my timing when I I moved out here wasn't great. I moved out here, uh, in July of 2008, obviously the bubble popped in September, October of 2008. So we even, even, even during the downturn, because so many people lost their homes and needed to place to rent, uh, rent rental property has always been in demand here, and we really didn't see rents kind of drop. We uh, we we didn't throw a lot of concessions at, at at any one given time. I mean, certainly there's some when we have some tough winters when and we have vacancies, it can be tough to rent stuff. Um, but we've we've seen anywhere from a three three uh to six percent growth year over year since i've been here so um you know and that needed to happen because prior prior to 2008 rents were very low compared to you know surrounding city, cities like portland and uh, reno um uh, salt lake city 
we're just we're still it's still cheap uh to, to rent and buy out here yeah i mean that's um great news i mean that those are good trends as people can live with that yeah Hey, Andy, really good to have you on the show today. It's interesting you, that you mentioned the recession, and, and it, it's one thing that a lot of people don't really consider when they're looking at real estate in general, unless you're kind of in the industry or you kind of understand both sides of it, because you got, you know, real estate sales and property management. So, you know, I started uh, in real estate in 2001 in sales. I started managing assets in 2005. I had a lot of uh, clients that were flippers, they would flip three, they'd hold the fourth for long term, and I could not find a, a solid property manager that did what I needed them to do, that understood the product, uh, had a level of, of expertise and service that was required uh, for me to refer them out. And, you know, the market, that industry, as you know, has really changed. I mean, when I first got into property management, there were lots of mom pa investors who manage their own asset, but also lots of mom and pa property managers who did third party management, but just didn't, you know, have that. Um, you know, that professionalism that we have today. I mean, I'm sure you've seen that over, over the, the last 10, 15 years. So um, in watching that, what happened from my perspective, at least, was I saw the sales go down, which meant people that couldn't sell their house would put their homes into a rental pool if they got transferred to another state or uh, if they wanted to buy their dream home because you know houses are thirty percent less at that time, uh, they would buy the dream home and then they'd rent out their existing because you know it wasn't the right time to sell. So we saw some inventory come on during the recession, and that really kind of started um, in what I saw at least uh, started this era of accidental investors, right? And now right. now we've got that pool of folks that own a single family home, maybe didn't mean to during the recession. Many of them have come back to me. Uh, in the last few years and said, okay, hey, the, the, the market's great. I want to sell my asset and I'm ready to hit eject. And so I found myself really looking at that and saying, um, well, before you hit eject, let's look at where you were when we took it on, where the value is now, the cash flow. Do you really want to exit the market or do you just want to, to reposition that asset? Are you seeing some of that in, in your market given um, you know, the, your experience during the recession and kind of how that market's been ebb and flow? Yeah, I mean, we we saw that started really kicking in around 2014 when value started coming in. Uh, you know, that like like you said, we called them the reluctant landlords <clears throat> that that either got uh, you know stuck moving out of state or bought bought investments at a bad time and uh, you know didn't want to default on them. Uh, and they they looked at the the values coming back as a way to get out of them. Um, so the. the you know, I think most of that has kind of got is, is behind us in this market. The problem there was is we had this massive inventory of single-family rentals, and uh, I would say close to one-third of them have gone back into the into the uh, real estate, you know, first-time homebuyer pool and have been purchased up, which has pushed you know it's pushed a lot of renters out of single-family rental renting and back into multifamily. So we we saw that as a as a trend kind of early on. And so we started doing multifamily development, um, uh, and, and, and developed larger multifamily properties of, of, uh, two, two to three bedroom homes to kind of serve that once, once single family renter that needs to kind of downsize into a, a, a multifamily property. But, you know, we put in nice finishes, right? Counter, you know, granite countertops, hardwood floors or LVP floors, and, uh, you know, made them like townhome rentals versus apartment. And it made it, it it made it feel like they're renting a home as close to, but not 
necessarily renting a home. So yeah, we, we definitely saw that trend. Yeah. So I'm, I'm hearing you say that you saw a need in the market that was caused by the market and right. you attack, you attack that need, right? I mean, if you're creating the needed houses, uh, you know, new construction, um, you're really putting yourself in a position where, um, you're essentially building the bank, right? I mean, you're, you're putting yourself in a, in a position where you're providing that straight out of the gate. That's, that's fantastic. Has that fared well for you? Yeah, it's been great. I mean, <clears throat> we started, um, you know, we, we, we saw that, Hey, you know, you can't work. There's, it's probably not going to be a situation where you can buy a three bedroom, two bath home for $75,000 very long in this market, just because, uh, you know, nothing happened for a couple of years during that, that initial downtime. And so from 2011 until now, I mean, uh, we've, we've helped investors or developers put, uh, more than 4,000 new doors in this, in this Boise market. So, um, it's been good from a development standpoint. It's been great for a property management st- standpoint, and um, you know it, it just it just shows that um, you know this is obviously a growing uh, little little metropolis that that is these these new units are easily absorbed. Uh, you, you know, we talked a little bit about the prior recession. One of the fears, obviously, you know, everyone says, well, what's what's going to happen in the next five years? And and obviously, there there's uniqueness to each market. But what's your what do you think is going to be happening in the next five years in Boise? I'm not saying is there a recession or not. I'm just saying from a practical perspective, if I'm investing in Boise, what is the attractive feature there, and why should I choose Boise as an investor over some of these other markets? Well, I don't think there's I don't think there's going to be. Uh you know, a situation that we've, that we experienced in 2008. I don't know if we'll, if we'll ever see that again in our lifetime. I mean, that's what I think a lot of investors think that's going to happen. They're like, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to reserve all this dry powder for this massive bubble pop. Right. And the conditions today are very different than they were, when they were in 2008, in my opinion. Um, you know, we've had the longest I think it's the longest, the second longest, uh, economic recovery, uh, in our country's history. And typically when, when uh, the recovery is long, the, the, the decline is long. And so I, I see things either continuing to go up at, uh, you know, a, a normal three, two and a half, three, four percent uh, range. And then, you know, I think once once the 2020 election comes up and depending on what happens there and, I, you know, and I'm not I'm not going to get into the politics of it. But obviously, the current the current administration has put some things in place to to really spur economic growth. Um and that, and that has definitely trickled to Idaho. So, you know, until then, I think we're going to see uh, some good things happening here in the Boise market, um, where it's, where quite frankly, it's not very difficult to put new units in the market. Um, you know, the people, people want to move here. There's good things happening. There's, there's, there's no signs of, you know, once, once we get to a five, maybe 6% vacancy factor, you know, hey, that might be a t- that might be a sign we'd really need to pull back on our on our unit unit development. But we're still, you know, we're still absorbing two or three thousand units a year without any problem. So the future the future here looks pretty good. Um, you know, the other thing that's really going to help, I think, push rents up here is the cost of construction, the cost of land. It's kind of uh, got so expensive that it's really slowed some of the construction plan the, the construction plan projects and so that's also pushing our vacancy rates down and and, and, and creating a need um, you know for more vent, uh, for more rental units so 
we're seeing we're seeing that price still go up. So there's definitely a need for housing. There's a shortage of housing. Our average days on market is low. Our inventory, our our inventory in the valley. So the the, the biggest chunk of Idaho is the the Treasure Valley. Um, our inventory levels are less than two months. So in two months, everything will be sold. In 2008, I think we had 44 months of inventory. <clears throat> so that's a very different number. I mean, the conditions here are very different than they were then. Um, and then, you know, our, our cap rates from 2008, we're in the mid eights. Now we're seeing multifamily here in the five and a half to six. So our cap rates are almost as, as low as they are in Portland. Um, but we're seeing a lot of interest coming out of the Oregon market because of rent control. So it's pretty interesting. Yeah. You know, it's interesting you mentioned that because I, I do have a lot of clients that are really looking at other options. And, um, it's interesting that you're at a five and a half to six cap on the multifamily pieces. Um, you know, here we're at about a five to five and a half. Five is, is aggressive, but you know, I've talked to clients about this before, you know, in other metropolitans. The reason that they're coming to Portland is because, you know, you have some of those same amenities that are provided, you know, access to the beach, access to the mountain, uh, some of the same um, political climate, some of the same culture, you know, the, the kind of a younger, more liberal culture. And they're coming from places where they're like a three cap, you know? So yeah. <laughs> it's it's interesting because you, you look at some of these properties. I was looking at a property there in uh, Lewiston. Um and they were at like a 6.7 cap on this 30 unit building, 28 unit building. And then I uh, poked around a little bit in Boise and, you know, the cap rates are a little bit closer to that five and a half. There's a 70, yeah. 71 unit um, that I was looking at. But um, it, it's really interesting to kind of see that uh, trend, especially given rece- recession versus rebuild. And then people are always questioning, right? There's always the fear from the investor. Uh, what's going to happen in the next five years? Where do I see it going? And should I just hold on to the money? Um, And I agree with you. I mean, the environment's completely different. And I think that uh, the investment uh, approach has to be completely different. But, you know, the rent control piece in here in um, Oregon has certainly been something that's stimulated many of my clients looking out of market. So uh, we're going to take a quick break for a word from our sponsor. Then we'll get back here with Andy and talk a little bit more about uh, how we implement some of these investment strategies in uh, Boise, Idaho. Sleep Sound Property Management is a full-service, professional management company serving the Portland metro and Vancouver area. We give our clients back their most valuable asset, time. By delegating your property management, you'll be able to focus on what you do best while minimizing your liability and maximizing your return. Learn how we can help at sleepsoundpm.com. Okay, so we are back from our break. We are talking with Andy Props about the Boise market. And um, Andy, you've given us a lot of great information so far. We certainly appreciate that. One of the things that obviously investors you know, like to do is manage risk, right? And so in Oregon, where, where we operate, we've seen a lot of legislative changes. Some of them happen pretty rapidly. Uh, there's been effectively zero implementation time because they've been passed under emergency measures. Um, if I'm an investor looking at Idaho in general, or maybe even Boise, maybe you have some local things going on, are there any legislative concerns on the horizon that investors should be paying attention to right now? No. wow that is wonderful news um like i i I don't i don't like there's 
I like literally it's, it's not, not none. It's a non thing. Not, nothing even to talk about. <laughs> this is, this is Idaho where no laws get passed ever. <laughs> that might be the biggest selling point. I mean, honestly, this is something, you know, where the rent control topic you touched on, um, that whole conversation starting up again in California, it's kicking off in Atlanta. There's other places where you wouldn't expect it to. So that's, that's actually pretty interesting and good to hear. Um, yeah, I mean, just, just that, that proposition to get rent control passed in California last year really, really opened the floodgates of investors. Uh, we, st- we, st- once, once it didn't happen in November, we, we started to see things slow down here a little bit. Um, but now, interesting with what happened in Oregon, we're getting, we're getting calls. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see over time the migration of capital to different areas and how that you know, pairs with the legislative policies around, around housing. Because I think you know, a lot of these government organizations are shooting themselves in the foot while they're well, you know, they have good intentions. Um, a lot of them are not paying attention to, to really the market conditions. So sounds so far like Boise is a good place. Idaho is a good place. Could you tell us a little bit about what, um, you know, the, the median price point is for a single family home, you know, in, in the Boise area? Yeah. I mean, I, I get the, uh, I get the reports from, uh, Ada County Association or the Boise, Boise regional realtors that used to be called Ada County Association realtors. Um, but I, you know, I'm going to give it ballpark from what I remember the last one. I think it was a, a in, in Ada County. So again, Boise, Meridian, which are you know two, you know, booming metropolitan areas. It's uh, 285,000, and then I think in Canyon County, it was closer to um, 260,000. Um, but I'm great I, numbers. You know, that's that's like the best the best memory. I I really, <clears throat> you know, I really focus more. Uh, on this market in the multifamily arena, so um, I'm not as I'm not as sharp on the on the single family stuff, but uh, I think those numbers are pretty close. So um, that's helpful. I mean, the, the whole purpose of the question is really to kind of understand, you know, what investors are getting when they invest there, and we can talk a little bit about that. But do you have a sense on whether it's the multifamily or single family what the median rents are in the area? Um, yes. I mean, that, that's also in the, the NARPM, the NARPM survey. Um, but you know, typically a a safe number for single family homes, you know, if we just looked at the, the Boise metropolitan area, what we call the treasure Valley, um, you know, we would, we would kind of pipe in a number of, uh, 95 cents a square foot or a multifamily, you'd be closer to a buck 10 a square foot. Okay. Okay. You know, one of the things, obviously, the the name of our podcast is Invest in the West, and our focus is really the Western United States. Idaho is obviously in that, and one of the one of the trends that I've kind of seen is this. uh, You know, you could I guess picture it as kind of a champagne fountain, right, Uh, with Los Angeles and San Francisco at the top, and people are pouring in there, both investors and. Uh, residents are pouring in there because they like the amenities and the, the climate and the atmosphere. And uh, then it gets too expensive. So they start to spill in some of those adjacent glasses, which those markets, uh, as I saw them, were, um, you know, Seattle and then Portland. Now you ha- you saw a push also to Salt Lake City and Denver. Um, and I, I'm really seeing that happen as a trend. Where does Boise fit in that analogy or in that concept of, Hey, if I want to be in the Western United States, um, but I want affordability, I want return on my investment. Where, where does Boise fit in there? Does that make sense? Um, I, I think so. I mean, it's, 
like I said, it's a very attractive market. I think as far as return on investment, I think uh, I think there's I think there's some good places to invest in here where you get a, a solid ROI. I, I I do feel like you know it's a it's it's a less risky market. There's you know I always tell investors that come they always say like where's the where's the bad where's the bad neighborhoods? You know they come from you know L.A. or Seattle and there's certain areas that you don't want to go walk through at night. Well, in, in the Boise metropolitan area, there's not there's I, I would. I would happily walk through any neighborhood uh, in the valley um, at night, would not worry about you know anything like that. So I think I think what makes this kind of a, a nice uh, metropolitan area to invest is that it is a low risk, which is why you're seeing those cap rates go low because you know it's a it's a landlord friendly place. It's uh, the, the the tenants are paying their rent on time, and um, you know the the returns are 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 more you know, guaranteed to be there. Yeah. And, you know, it's always a balance, isn't it? You know, you're trying to balance the return with the risk um, and the the safety net. You know, we talk, we've talked a couple of times just about the different eras that we've been through here. Um, do you think that there, obviously the um, lighter legislative move there and just, uh, you know, more landlord friendly rules and regs, do you think that that creates somewhat of a buffer from like a, a recession or a uh, some type of political environment that may occur. I do. I think. I think it helps a little bit. I mean, we saw. You know, we 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 were definitely affected by the recession. Our, our home prices, et cetera, et cetera, were affected by the recession. But uh, we didn't we didn't feel it as much here as we did uh, as some of the other markets, like you know, like the like the typical Atlanta, Phoenix, LA, those 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 sort of things. So I look at what's happening when investors do come in here. You know, they're putting a substantial amount of money down on these properties when they're buying them, whether it be single family or multifamily. So they, they, they have a buffer. They can, they can, rents can stabilize, rents can go down, but they're still in a good cash flow position versus what was happening back in 2008, where they were not putting any money down. They were taking 125% mortgages out. Look, uh, when the, when the, when the, when the music stopped, it was pretty, pretty clear that these people were going to get hurt. And, um, you know, right now with the, the current lending environment, with the required cash down to buy these things uh there's 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 a buffer there i don't think people are going to get hurt like or even close to as much as they were getting hurt back in 2008 so yeah do you do you know do you know what the approximate um ratio tenant versus um property owners are there in boise yeah it's you know nationally it's um it's much lower i think we're in the uh uh like uh, tenant occupancy occupied like 29 percent mm. okay is that single family or just market in, or the city yeah in general? just i think market market in general gotcha okay yeah so high high ownership numbers here yeah we're we're at uh portland specifically is at about 45 percent tenant occupied right so yeah. i mean obviously we're we're we've got some density there and an urban growth boundary and whatnot so it certainly modifies things but are there other cities sure. in uh idaho that you're seeing as good investments and yeah uh, you, you know that aren't in that boise core yeah absolutely i mean i'm <clears throat> i just right prior to this podcast i was underwriting underwriting a 36 unit development in fruitland idaho which is right on the court right on the border of oregon and idaho um you know they just put in a couple of medical centers out there and they need they need housing out there so we're trying to make a development look good and i i really like the sub markets honestly um because you know the, the the primary markets there's a lot of competition here 
but I like I, I like the eastern part of the uh, eastern part of the state too. We have a shop in Idaho Falls, and there's some pretty good investment opportunities out there. Idaho Falls, Rexburg, Pocatello, um, Twin Falls. We manage a bunch of properties in Twin Falls, Idaho, which is uh, you know south south central Idaho, and that's a really that's a really up and coming market with uh, you know Chobani going in there, and there's a couple other big big uh, big plants, dairy plants. Um, we have Simplot, et cetera. So there's there's a lot of good jobs down down in Twin Falls. So those are the ones that come to mind initially. I, I, I don't know a lot about, you know, the central northern part of Idaho, specifically, you know, the Coeur d'Alene, uh, like you mentioned, Lewiston. There might be some great investments up there. I just I just don't know anything about it. Some people might call, you know, going back to Boise a little bit, um, might consider Boise a bit of a college town. You know, you have obviously... Um, well, they're well known for their football team. But beyond that, you know, what other industries and economic drivers present stability, you think, in that market that would make investors feel comfortable? Yeah, I mean, so we have we have we have some nice, uh, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of small tech companies that are coming into town. Uh, the, obviously, big tech, we have uh, HB campus here. Um, and then uh, Micron is headquartered here. That's a big driver for, for good paying jobs. And, and to my knowledge, they have uh, hundreds of jobs, you know, engineering jobs that are available that they are trying to fill. But, um, you know, it's kind of hard, hard to find those guys. But there's obviously the hospitals, the construction industry here is, 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 is booming now. Um, but, you know, we also have some, some corporate head, you know, some corporate headquarters here. Albertsons is here. Uh, we have Sensi, which is, which is, which is a big one. Uh, Norco, there's, you know, there's a bunch of, there's a bunch of, uh, uh, obviously, being right on Interstate 84, there's a lot of uh, distribution. Winco's here, uh, so those are those are kind of things that kind of come to mind uh, fast. We just we we had an Amazon distribution center getting uh, that was just started to be built, but for whatever reason, when they when they pulled back on Amazon HQ2, they held back on that. So I think they're going to build it. They're just trying to get that thing figured out and what they want to do for that second headquarters. Maybe they'll put it here in Boise. I don't know. Um, but um, yeah, those are the those are the things that kind of come to mind. Great, great, great. Well, it sounds like there's a lot of diversity kind of in your economic environment. So again, that kind of presents a lot of stability. Um, transitioning in just a little bit, you know, one of the things that you had touched on earlier um, it was really kind of the management of investment property, right? Because a good manager can really make or break the performance of an asset. Not to say that it's all on them, but you know, somebody can run a building into the ground if they're not doing a good job. Oh, yeah. um, and so, you know, tell us a little bit about Home River Group. You know, what types of properties does Home River manage? Yeah, I mean, mostly nationally, single fa- single family and small multifamily properties. And it and it and it varies in 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 market to market based on uh, the inventory. So, but you're right. I mean, I always, I always say like, if you don't think property management's important, hire a bad property manager and you'll figure it out really quick. <laughs> um, you know, cause I mean, as, as you guys know, as, as property managers, what property managers, I mean, you'll, 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 you'll inherit some crazy, some crazy situations that look, these people bought a, a great investment property, but they just didn't have the management in place. You know, I, I talked to syndicators, uh, you know, read operators and, you know, they have, they have kind of two challenges right now, uh, which is a deal flow, deal flows hard and then B management. And as, as the, um, job market gets tighter 
it's it's hard for it's hard to find a it's hard to find good people no matter what business you have but it's also hard to find people good people that are willing to do property management so if you have a, if there are firms out there that are able to attract good talent which typically in property management it's not you know they're not really high paying jobs property management in general is kind of a low margin business um, you know getting that service is becoming harder and harder to find a lot of property management companies are getting very reliant on um, uh, what is it uh, outsourcing and technology and so it kind of makes the kind of makes the service feel a little um, a little less servicey I guess but yeah. you know it's the ones that are really focusing focusing on process and people um, and trying to utilize technology effectively that um, you know I, I see in this uh, in this business that are doing great things well I think that's a you know a massive misconception that investors often have is that they want to commoditize property management services. They kind of look at it through the lens of you guys are all the same. You collect rent, you handle maintenance requests, blah, blah, blah. And that's just not really, you know, an accurate way to evaluate that service. I mean, people don't look at lawyers the same. They understand that there's a difference. They don't look at the same way with medical professionals. And, you know, you're really going to be, you know, your management's going to be as good as your management company. And so that's really important. Now, I know that you obviously have, you know, built a great reputation, um, Home Rover Group has a good reputation, but for the people who aren't familiar with you, you know, if they're going into the Boise market, you know, why should they pick Home River Group over maybe another provider? You know, I think I think it's I think we kind of have, <clears throat> you know, a a clear understanding of of what it takes uh, from the owner's perspective to to be successful. So, I mean. We get we get pretty budget conscious with our our owners specifically. You know, they got a couple single family homes, or they have uh, some multifamily properties. You know, we we want to sit down and understand a what their investment goals are, and specifically, you know, what what kind of budget do we need to put in place for each property? Specifically, you know, hey, this is the income, this is the expenses, and this is kind of what we're accountable to as the management company. So, ma- taking taking more of a partnership approach to managing their property. So, uh, you know, we're, we're held accountable to our performance, not just, Hey, we collect the rent and, you know, we fix the toilet when it breaks. Um, but you know, we're shooting for a specific, you know, a top line dollar amount collected, but we're also really working on trying to, uh, minimize their expenses. And, you know, I, I, there's probably not a day in the last 10 years, guys, honestly, where I have not put together a performa for an investor. Um, and you know, we, we've got our percentages basically dialed in on single family homes and multifamily property, uh, just cause we manage, you know, we have a good idea. So if investors comes to us and says, you know, I'm, I'm looking for a 6% return. You know, I think most property managers, they call that, they're like, um, okay, I'm not sure what that specifically means. Mm-hmm. Well, we, we, we could, you know, we can undo any property and tell somebody exactly what their IRR is, what their cash on cash is going to be, what their current value, net present value, you know, future value. Um, so we, we, we really get into the numbers of the business. And I think, I think that's important for investors to kind of treat this, you know, similar, similar to what they would, a stock portfolio where you have somebody really diving in and, and figuring out how to diversify your investment and, um, and, and then put, put parameters in place to really control the performance of the investment. So, you buy Amazon stock, right? You you buy stuff on Amazon, but other than that, there's not much you can do to control that price going up and down. But 
you have the right property manager, your property can be worth hundreds of thousands of dollars more if it's managed correctly versus not being managed correctly. The best deals I've ever made in property management or the best deals I've ever made in real estate are the ones that are managed poorly. Well, I believe that definitely. I mean, when there's, you know, management issues, there's a lot of opportunity. But, you know, to your point, I mean, it sounds like you guys are taking a much larger strategic approach. You're looking at it um, more from an advisor standpoint. And that's really where all that CCIM and CPM designation training that you've gone through and obtained really comes into play. And, you know, on its own, it's going to act as a differentiator. So that's great. Yeah. No, and it's, you know, look, I mean, I, there's, you know, in, in property management, there's, not a lot of wins, right? You're putting out fires and, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's good. You're, you're, you're stuck in the middle between the tenant and the owner and you're trying to do what's right. You know, what's one of our core values is integrity. And sometimes that means we have to tell owners that they're in the wrong or they're not in the wrong, but we need to do what's right and vice versa. Right. But you know, the, the wins in this business are an owner has come to me, they've got a dollar, they've got a dollar amount they want to invest in the, in, in the, in the market. Uh, they invest that money, and we have helped them reach their investment goal. That's that's what gets me up. That's what's kept me doing this since uh, 1999. Is you know maximizing uh, returns for our investors. That's that's my favorite thing about it. Yeah, you know, on, on both the property management and the real estate side, I I have always told people, clients, you know, my job is to make you more money than I cost you, and that value could be in minimizing liability. It could be maximizing your return or advising you on the next asset. You know, and a lot of times people just look at the cost. The first question that many people ask, how much do, how much do you charge? And right away, right. I know that number one, either they're not the right client or number two, they don't know that they're asking the wrong question, right? How much value can you provide is a far different question, but much more specific and much more important. And, you know, that collaboration that you're talking about, you know, where you work as a team, it's the difference in having a call with a, with a client who calls up and says, hey, you know, my tenant's been paying late, I'm blaming you, as opposed to, hey, Andy, I wanted to touch base. What do we need to do about this tenant, right? Because when you're in a partnership like that together and you understand that, um, you know, the services that have been provided are really providing value, yes, they cost money, but they provide value. It's, you know, in that sense, I think it's like an attorney or an accountant. If it costs me $1,000 to do, uh, to have someone do my taxes, they got to make me $1,000, either in the time I saved and not having to file, uh, the ability to not be audited and get in trouble later. And so they're doing, doing it correctly, uh, or just expertise and knowledge, right? Yeah, no, that's well said. I mean, you know, this is something I can't came up with a long time ago. I call it the service triangle, right? If, if, if we ever engage in the service business that we want to help us with some type of a service, we want we all want three things. We want it done fast. We want it done with quality. And we want it cheap, right? And when that when those three things happen, that's called value, right? So if we can if we can shrink that triangle and 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 help lower our costs, get things done better and faster, uh, then we add more value. So those are those are the like the three fundamental service items that we constantly try to work on. To build our process, right? To, to keep our to keep our price low, and to really increase our speed. That's like the most important thing. Is this being super responsive? Um, you know, on top of things, uh, when 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 tenants have issues, like immediately react, right? To those to getting those things right. When investors have questions, we need to get back to them as as, as soon as possible. They need to have a portal to go to to get the to get the answers uh, that they have questions to. So. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're constantly trying to make 
a value, a better value for our owners and tenants on a, on a daily basis. And, and, um, you know, sometimes that's hard to do when you're main, when you're running a property management company, because there's, there's so many other things that are distracting. Yeah. Well, you know, one of the things I normally tell clients too, and some of them don't like it and, and some of them understand the concept, but I say, you know, wh- whatever it is that you do, aside from being a professional athlete or a professional musician, I could do what you do. I mean, if I focused enough on it, I went to school for it, I could do just about anybody's job and you could totally do my job, but you're not hiring me so that you can micromanage me and do my job. You're hiring me so that you can spend time with your family. You can go on vacation. You can enjoy your retirement later on. You can work your normal job because that's what drives you. And, you know, I think that that concept uh, in today's society, especially because everything is five-star review based, right? I'm going right. to look up all these property managers and whoever has the most stars and the cheapest rate, I'm going to go with that guy. <laughs> Whereas mm-hmm. you have to really delve in and say, well, what, what provides value to them? I mean, is it that everything is, um, you know, electronic? Is that what provides value to me? Or is it really the expertise? And this guy's going to help me get from owning two single family homes to owning a 30 unit building or to bringing in $20,000 a month cash flow on my assets or to build, you know, pay for my kids' college through these assets. So really um, designing their portfolio around what their end goal is, is something that I transitioned to about a year and a half ago in just being able to more uh, specifically focus on that when I um, kind of pulled back from the day-to-day operations on the property management side and started doing more of the brokerage and the design of the strategy, the investment strategy for those investors. And that's really been very fruitful for me. But I've also had clients come to me and say, I never thought of that. And I'm really very glad that we have like a plan, right? If you're a a scuba diver, you plan the dive, you dive the plan, (laughs) right? Right. Yeah. No, I like that a lot. Yeah. So, you know, one of the biggest fears that investors have when they're investing in an unknown market is not being there and a lack of knowledge in the area. Usually they start in their home on their home turf and then they move or are interested in moving to another market. If I'm moving money from my market over to Boise, do you offer other services in addition to just management or do you have resources for things such as maintenance, landscaping, uh, real estate brokers and that sort of thing? Yeah. Yep. You bet the the whole the whole nine, um, you know we have I think we have close to thirty full time maintenance uh, techs on staff here, um, which which is you know a, a, a must have right now especially in Boise where contractors are really hard to nail down, um, so you know we can get our turns done a, a lot faster than the competition that doesn't have on site maintenance or 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 maintenance guys working for uh, the company, and you know one thing that we do that I think makes our and I'd say 80% of our investors are out of state. Uh, you know, we do biannual inspection, inspections, interior, exterior inspections, which gives, um, you know, that, that investor kind of a, a, a peek into what's going on on their property on a regular basis. Um, you know, we have our maintenance techs trained to kind of look for issues when they go out to do it, you know, fix a fridge or do an HVAC call, um, et cetera. And we also use a service called Property Meld that allows our, our tenants to kind of give us kind of uh, real-time feedback on what's going on on the property and then obviously rate our technicians and other technicians that go out there to, to service them. And then we share that information with our, with our owners, investors, so they can see specifically um, that the work's being done and it's being done correctly uh, if, there, if there are issues. 
That's great. Um, have you seen uh, the opportunity zones stimulate the market at all? I know that there's just a small sliver in Boise, but you know Meridian has uh, yeah. a, a pretty yeah. large piece. Are you seeing some folks move money into opportunity zones, especially with you being on the the new construction and development side? Not yet, uh, believe it or not. And I actually am kind of I own property in some opportunity zones, and I'm not really sure what the heck to do with it, um, <laughs> just specifically, but. Uh, you know, just just because uh, properties in an opportunity zone um, doesn't necessarily make it a, a good deal. Uh, it makes it could make it a better deal, um, but the I, th- I think the lack of of uh, I think it's getting out there, but the the lack of education or understanding of what OZs are um, and where they're at, it's um, it's just it just it just hasn't been really uncovered, which is unfortunate because to to really maximize that product or that uh that tax benefit you really have to act in 2019 so by the time everybody figures it out it's going to be too late and um you know there might there that that opportunity uh, might go away unless you know somebody gets involved and says you know we extend this program out um so yeah not 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 a lot honestly and and there's there's a big track actually i'm sitting in an opportunity zone right now and what's so funny about how they come up with these is you know they took the 2010 a 2000 to 2010 census, right? And tried to identify through local leadership, these opportunity zones, but a lot of these, a lot of these opportunity zone areas have already come back. Um, so not necessarily in bad spots. So it's, it's pretty, it's pretty interesting, but I think it is, I think, I think, you know, if I had more time, I would spend more time raising money and putting together a fund and identifying some opportunities. But, uh, you know, there's only so much time in the day and you know, I've got, I've got two kids and, <laughs> I got I got to be a family man too not just a work workaholic. Yeah, you know, it's really interesting cuz some of my clients it's on their radar and and I didn't really expect it to be uh because of their level of expertise or level of interest in their existing products or their existing assets. And then others who I fully anticipated them to be all in ready to go had no clue. So it's really yeah. it's just an interesting concept um and it only works for um, specific situations, you know, I mean, they're one of the challenges, I mean, there are lots of challenges to it, but you touched on the fact that, um, you know, that it took so long for the IRS to really clarify things that made people feel comfortable with it, that now we're in the final hour in 2019 to really maximize, um, the step down in basis. Um, Oh, you're right. I mean, to get the, the full 10 year, you know, benefit, I mean, it's a, it's a great benefit. Um, but you, you almost have to be, willing to do the deal without the opportunity zone there. Um, and I think it makes the most sense with where, where your, where your investor has short-term capital gains and it's hard to know which investors have capital gains. And, and, you know, uh, for example, when I, when I merged my company with, um, you know, home river group, I had, I had an initial capital gain. Well, you know, if that would happened in 2019 or 2018, when opportunity zones were there, I would have, immediately reinvested that in an opportunity zone. Unfortunately, I didn't have that opportunity. I got, I got, I got slaughtered on taxes. So, you know, the people that, the people that are out there that are, you know, has, have short-term gains on stocks, just sold their business that, you know, when they had a major basis, uh, those, those opportunity zones could be a, a massive tax shelter for them, tax saving, especially on the, on the initial deferment. But then any the, any growth that happens in that particular investment, uh, you know, basically tax free if they can hold it for ten years. So, it's an amazing program. It's the best thing that's happened to real estate tax 
um, you know, since the 1031 exchange came in, into play. But again, it's kind of catching lightning in a bottle. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I definitely see, I mean, the value obviously is the deferment for the seven years and the step up, but, uh, the other, I mean, the real benefit is after that 10 years where you pay no capital gains on the, the on replacement that, on asset. The asset. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. It's, it's crazy. Well, hey, you know, we, we really respect your time and uh, thank you very much today for giving us a little bit of insight in the Boise market. We got a few questions just to get to know who you are a little bit, a little better here that uh, are off the Boise market, but a little bit more about you. Um, you know, I, I've seen you up there on stage and uh, seen you participate in NARPM. You're, you're a great leader, a good speaker. Is there an aha moment that you've had in the past year that's changed your approach on some part of your career, your investment strategy, or, or your personal life? The big aha moment to me happened, I bought, uh, I purchased a cabin in the, in the woods. And um, I, you know, you, you've got to, I didn't realize this, but I, I've got to like schedule downtime. And that, that has been the best thing that's happened to me to get to, to force myself to have downtime. And um, I, I owned it for maybe two months. And I said, I, I wish I would have done this 10 years ago. Uh, because I, I feel like my brain is sharper and more creative because I, I have that, that place to get away and just stop always you know, thinking and strategizing and trying to, trying to do the next thing. You know, when I go to the cabin, uh, I still have cell signal there. I can't, I couldn't have bought it if there wasn't signal, but it's the only place in the world where I, I don't want to check my email every hour. Um, so, you know, whatever, whatever that, whatever that was, uh, you know, what, whatever that can be in somebody's life where they can, you know, find something that doesn't, that can get their, their brain to shut off and, uh, do something different. Uh, that, that to me was, I, I feel like, I feel like my, my life is better. It's in balance. Um, but when I'm at work, I'm better at work, if that makes sense, because I have something that intentionally gets me away from it. Yeah, well, I mean, that's a significant aha moment. And I think a lot of people who are entrepreneurs and serial entrepreneurs really kind of struggle with that. And, you know, there's a book called The Powerful Engagement that kind of touches on that. So that's a that's a great takeaway. My question is, you know, can you tell us about an important, important ritual you have and do every day? Um, I am blessed to have a great assistant that helps keep me, that helps keep me in line, but I, I do these, um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with, uh, Sean Acor. Um, he wrote the happiness advantage. I'm not sure. I think I've heard of the book. I, I haven't picked it up or anything. Yeah. Like he, he has, I mean, if you haven't had, I mean, you and your listeners, have you had the chance to, to, to watch his Ted talk? It's, it's amazing. It's a, it's hilarious, but, uh, uh, he's, he's super funny, but, you know, he basically goes over like uh, four, four or five things that you need to do on a daily basis to to be to be happy, right? So, one of the things um, is I write down three things I'm grateful for, right? I I exercise, and I, I don't I don't I, I will I will admit I don't exercise every day, but um, I, I try to try to do at least thirty minutes every day of exercise, uh, and then I try to do uh, a random act of kindness. So, right. and that typically happens within a, a thank you note. So if you guys get a thank you note from me in the next couple of weeks, <laughs> you know, I'm trying to do my, 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 my random act of kindness. Um, so those, those are things that I try to do every day because, uh, you know, the science is in, if you do those things, uh, you're happier. So do something special for somebody, write them a thank you note, uh, you know, write down what you're grateful for and get out there and exercise that helps obviously lower your anxiety. So, so those, those are the, those are the kind of key rituals that kind of 
bring happiness into my life. Yeah, you know, and those things are so hard to do. I mean, to be disciplined and purposeful about something that is not immediate gratification or immediately on your desk. And I mean, I can totally identify with that. I started using, um, I had a transaction with a lender who gave me, the, the sent me a journal. Um, it's not a journal technically, it's a planner. It's called Win by Noon. And it's essentially this um, planner that uh, kind of has all those three, those things where you have some personal goals, you have some long-term goals, some uh, short-term goals, and it's really been effective as well. So, yeah. um, Andy, if you could have dinner with one person, dead or alive, who would it be? Um, well, I'm, you know, obviously, I'm. I won't. I won't give like the obvious answers. Uh, I'll just. But I, I'm fascinated with Charles Schwab. I would. I'd love to really spend some time with him. Uh, obviously, he's no longer with us, but uh, you know, he he did some amazing things when he was on this earth. And uh, was way ahead of his time in the in the interpersonal realm. Uh, what he was able to do to get uh, his businesses, you know, up and going, and, and, and you know, just basically taking over the uh, the steel industry. So, um, you know, I, I I learned about him when I was really young. I was I was luckily given a book, uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People, when I was really young. I read that. I don't know why I read it, but it's a great book. Made a, great book. Made a huge impact on my life and. Uh, I've just kind of been a, a a fan of of him and kind of the the titans of industry, right? That that, that kind of established this uh, this country. Um, you know, I'd love obviously. You know, I if if I if I if we took all the normal answers, that you know, love to love to have dinner with Jesus. But uh, in business, for sure, Charles Schwab, just because of you know uh, how he valued how he valued the human the human relationship. Uh, when nobody else really did, you know, humans were commodities when he was doing his thing and he saw the value of, of, you know, building a culture, um, you know, being grateful for the people that were doing things and, and really getting, getting an army of dedicated followers to, to help him build an empire. I mean, it's, it was pretty, it's pretty impressive what he did today, but doing it back in the 1920s and thirties was amazing. Yeah, no, I mean, and I definitely admire him as well. And, you know, that book by Dale Carnegie references is, is a great book. Um, so I also have another somewhat serious question. Um, if you had to choose between Coke or Pepsi, which one would you pick? Oh, give me a break. <laughs> easy, easy. Well, look, this is a complicated question. So if, if uh, so the, the new Diet Pepsi uh, recipe is awful. So I couldn't drink Diet Pepsi. Uh, but then they got, they got smart like two years into it and said, it's bad. We need to go back. So if I'm, if I'm drinking out of the tap, if I go to ice diet Coke, if I'm drinking out of the can diet Pepsi. Got it. Interesting distinction. Interesting distinction. It's complicated, but I don't drink, I don't drink regular Coke. I, I only drink diet. What about like Coke zero or anything like that? How do you feel about that? Um, I'm more of a diet Coke. Over got it. Coke zero. That's fair. That's fair. Okay. Well, um, you know, Andy, we want to thank you for coming on and spending some time with us today. Um, how can the audience get a hold of you if they want to get in touch? Yeah, I probably uh, email's the best. Um, so uh, it's A props, A P is in Paul, R O P is in Paul, S is in Sam, T is in Tom, at homeriver.com. Great, great. Well, we'll put that in the notes for the show so people can access that. Um, yeah, well, again, you know, we appreciate all your time. It's been super informative. Um, I think anybody who's looking in the Boise market will certainly want to look you up. So thank you very much.
thank you guys. I appreciate what you do and, uh, you know, keeping everybody, keeping everybody on the 411. It's great stuff. And that is Andy Props, CEO of Home River Group. And that wraps up another episode of Invest in the West. I'm Nick Cook, along with Matt Williams. And be sure to subscribe to our podcast. And we'll see you next time. Thanks for joining us. <laughs>